in case you missed it on Newsbreak. Sunday afternoon, the weather's not so crazy in Durban, so just a slight breeze to keep you cool as you go about uh, relaxing on this Sunday afternoon. Welcome to the program. It's Newsbreak Talk. I'm Tadeh Shari Prashad, bringing you some cutting-edge current affairs today. And we are going to be talking about a serious issue, one that's definitely keeping what had been giving um, a lot of parents some sleepless nights. Uh, when are schools going to open? Now, they were to open. Um, as early as this month but the Deputy Basic Education Minister Regina Markle said that um, schools will open on February the 15th um, which is uh, for learners a reprieve then um, as the grips of the second wave continues in South Africa so Definitely some welcome news, but really, how welcome is it? I mean, I think the main question that I have to ask is, um, can you anticipate that in 15 days it's going to be safer? So that's definitely the question. It's a, I have to admit, though, it's a bit of a question that we've been asking for the past 12 months, haven't we? When is it safe for schools to be operational? At the same time, you cannot indefinitely close schools and halt education and learning. So um, lots to weigh up, lots to consider. But we are going to be talking about that. And I really want to know from you, are you satisfied with the fact that there's like a 15-day delay now? Uh, schools to open, what rather, a month uh, of um, of a delay until schools open. Are you satisfied that things are likely to improve by the end? Do you feel secure and safe that your child is... Um, you know, likely to to be healthy at school. I think the important thing and this, the shift in the dynamic is that with the new variant of COVID-19, and what we've been seeing or learning rather is that um, perhaps young people are also quite at risk. I mean, I think it was, um, you know, about a month ago, uh, super spreader events at uh, metric parties were considered to be a breeding ground for the spread and transmission of COVID-19. So from that perspective, um, you know, what are your concerns going into um, the return of school in the second wave? So, yeah, lots for us to talk about. I know yesterday we went through a lot of data, a lot of science with regard to stigma. So not too much of... um, Not too much of... um, I wasn't able to take too much of your voice notes and your messages. Let's make up for it today. Uh, let's factor in your thoughts, your opinions. Go ahead, text me, voice note me, and we'll take the conversation forward. Okay, let's hear from the Department of Basic Education first, because they've had a lot to say with regard to this. And they are worried about the impact of the second wave of COVID-19 infections on the new academic year. They've, like I said, delayed the opening of both private and public schools by two weeks. Deputy Basic Education Minister Regina Maukle says schools will open on February the 15th, but school management teams will be allowed on the premises 15 days before learners return to class. They'll have to assess how many teachers will be reporting for duty on the new start date for schools. Angela Bolawana compiled this report. Deputy Basic Education Minister Regina Mhaule has announced that public and private schools will open for learners on the 15th of February. Addressing the media in Pretoria, Mhaule says the delays to avoid further burdening the health facilities that are already battling to cope with the second wave of COVID-19 infections. Private schools had requested government to keep them open. However, Mhaule says they too are expected to delay opening by two weeks. The new dates for the reopening of private schools will vary depending on the calendar that they follow. For public schools and private schools which follow the same calendar, changes are as follows. School management teams, SMTs, shall report for duty on Monday, the 25th of January, 2021. Teachers shall follow on Monday, the 1st of February. And lastly, learners return will return on Monday the 15th of February. 
Maule says the second wave of COVID-19 has adversely affected teachers and the marking of the metric examinations. She says this has been a red flag for what might happen when the delayed school calendar begins. Maule has highlighted funerals as the main super spreader events at which teachers have picked up the virus. Over 3,000 metric markers pulled out of the marking process, mainly due to reasons relating to COVID-19. Close to 300 of them tested positive for the virus. Maule says the reason school management teams will report to school school 15 days before learners is to ascertain whether there will be enough human resources to start the year. Some of our markers have passed away. In the majority of cases, the educators indicated that they had attended funerals or ceremonies attended by big groups of people resulting in gatherings that were not monitored for compliance with the health protocols. The management teams will find out whether the teachers will be able to report for duty, whether some will apply to not go back to school because of comorbidities, whether some have been infected and if some have died. Provinces such as the Eastern Cape have already expressed concern that they will not be able to fill positions left vacant by deceased teachers. It's been difficult to get a clear picture of the impact COVID-19 is having on teachers because schools have been closed. Mahole explains. When they go to report to school on the 25th, the principals and the SMT, they will know who is coming and who's not coming, who is infected, who's still at home, who is a, a comorbidity case. Then they will register all those because we will be working with all the schools, all officials in the nine provinces and districts to get that information that will allow us to plan. The opening of early childhood development centers has also been delayed and private schools that have already opened will have to shut down for two weeks. The Department of Basic Education says they are also looking into ICT solutions to fill the gaps exposed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Angela Bulawana, they're painting a picture of what the department is doing, is expecting and is planning for the opening of schools. Teachers go earlier, 15 days to be precise, before learners return to class. And uh, definitely that is something of great interest. We'll speak to NAPTO, so the National Pro- Professional Teachers Organization of South Africa. They've got some thoughts with regard to that. So we are going to be speaking to them in a short while. But I found this particularly interesting, and this was prior to the announcement made by the department. Um, and what it basically um, indicated was that a recent survey, this one was conducted by the Human Sciences Research Council and spearheaded by the University of Johannesburg Center for Social Change. This survey found that 53% of adults believe that schools should not open until the second wave of COVID-19 subsides. Um, So definitely an interesting dynamic. There are lots more statistics to comb through with regard to that. I wanted to start off our conversation with this for us to understand the um, sentiment coming through from the public on the ground with regard to this and the data supporting and substantiating this viewpoint. So I'm very happy to be joined on the line by Professor Karen Ransman from the University of Johannesburg Center for Social Change. Professor Ransman, good to speak with you. Good afternoon. Hope you've been healthy and everything's been good on your side. Yes, thanks very much. (laughs) Very important to check. But Professor Ransman, some really important work. You guys have done uh, a survey and you found that 53% of adults believe that schools should not open until the second wave of COVID-19 subsides. Tell us a bit more about your survey. That's right. So we conducted a survey, an online survey, between the 30th of December and the the 6th of January. And then what we've done uh, is that we've weighted those results from the over 10,000 people that participated in that survey. So what we can say is that these results that we're reporting on are broadly representative of the population at large. And as as you said, we found the majority, 53% of adults, and did not believe that schools should reopen while uh, we do appear to be in the midst of the second wave. Uh, A smaller percentage, 19%, thought that schools should only reopen for grades 7 and 12, uh, and 19% did think that schools should reopen. And of course, since um, we released these survey results, we obviously have had um, the Department of Education indicating there will be a delay in schools reopening. And this is consistent with the decision that they took in July last year, where we were actually faced with a very similar set of circumstances. 
Uh, again, at that time, our survey found that the majority of adults opposed the reopening of schools while we were in the midst of the first wave. And uh, yes, the schools were delayed at that time. And as we now have the announcement, schools will be delayed now. And this is probably a move that many, many people will support, although it obviously does cause difficulties uh, for children uh, and their education. Yeah, I think an interesting point, and this is the variable, isn't it, Professor, when you consider that, um, you know, and, and, and you can help me understand the terminology here, but many are saying that, you know, they, they believe schools should not open until the second wave of COVID-19 subsides. And I think the variable then becomes, well, how do you calculate when it's likely to subside and when is that likely to be? Absolutely, and I think this is where it does get very complicated because as we know, our schooling system is very unequal. Um, So what also came through clearly from the survey was the very polarised differences between people on higher incomes and lower incomes. So people on lower incomes were much more likely to say that they did not want schools to reopen until after we've passed the second wave. And I think, you know, what this really points to is the differences that schools have in being able to provide safe environments. As we know, there are many schools without proper running water and sanitation facilities. Facilities is what we need under normal circumstances, but particularly under COVID-19. And obviously schools in wealthier areas are much more likely to be better resourced, have better PPE and much more likely to provide a safe environment. So I think that's really what we're seeing is is that those inequalities in our schooling system then play out in our ability to respond to the pandemic as well. Mm, definitely an interesting point. I think it's something we could spend hours talking on a, on, a, on a separate conversation, Professor. But, you know, it's interesting, and just allow me to digress just a slight here. I mean, I spoke to um, I spoke to a professor yesterday, Professor Ramlakan, from the, um, uh, who, who, who also had done a, a fair amount of work, um, you know, with regard to understanding stigma and, 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 and looking at that particular dynamic. And, um, you know, the one thing that, that came through from him was that um, you know the stigmas that existed and also uh, you know Professor Ramlikan from the Human Sciences Research Council and what he said was that you know when COVID first broke lower income communities said well it's never going to happen to me it's a rich man's disease it's for those who are able to uh, travel internationally it is um, he said it was many perceptions suggested that it was a white uh, disease it affected only the white community of South Africa and it's interesting now to see that like you're telling me that um, you know a lot of lower income Come previously disadvantaged communities now even more concerned about the safety of their children. So an interesting change in dynamic, isn't it? I, mean, I think it really corresponds to, to how we've seen things unfold. Certainly, you know, at, at the beginning, this was obviously something that was brought into the country by wealthy travellers, and I think it's, it's almost inevitable that there would be that perception. But obviously, as as things have begun to unfold, and I think particularly during the second wave. Um, I think probably some of the risks for some people have really been brought home as as COVID, in a sense, has come closer and closer. Certainly speaking from my own experience in the second wave, I've felt you know COVID much more immediately in, in my social circle. And I think that's, that's the same for many, many people. Um, but I think also what we see in, in terms of when we're thinking about how incomes may shape people's perceptions, it's also, I think, about the economic impact of COVID as well. Um, obviously, for people on lower incomes, they were much more likely to have been um, retrenched with the economic fallout of COVID. Uh, and that's one of the things we've seen. So I think, you know, we see people dealing uh, with a multitude of, of fallouts from COVID, you know, the economic as well as the social. Yeah. Professor Ansman, I think uh, an interesting point raised um, toward the end of last year with with regard to the new variant and, you know, many saying that when COVID started about a year ago, the elderly were considered the most pre-exposed, predisposed to the virus. Uh, to the virus, and um, I think the second strain now we've seen a lot more young people, um, you know, dying because of it. So that that's you know basically challenging that theory, and you know, super spreader events like mutual grave part, rage parties, etc., um, have been regarded as super spreader events in December. So from that perspective, how do you think this dynamic plays out into the findings and and the concern coming through because it seems that schools and and young people carrying and spreading the virus could also be quite heightened now the second strain 
Absolutely, and, and I do think that is, is playing into the, the concerns that people have. But I, I think another important thing that has come through um, just our, our kind of analysis of the findings to date, and, and, and we're con- still continuing to analyse these findings, is that people are, are very concerned that um, it's very difficult, particularly for, for younger children, to socially distance. Um, so, you know, it's it's sort of almost not in the sort of natural inclinations of children to social distance. And there's concerns that when you bring children back into school, um, yes, they will maybe social distance when there's an adult present. But as soon as maybe an adult is gone, then that, that social distancing falls away. And I think that is partly what is coming into um, people's attitudes is that that concern and it's and I think the concern is not just perhaps about transmission amongst learners themselves so that that is a factor I think it's it's also the concern that young people can often be um, the people who may bring COVID into a household and obviously in South Africa we we normally live in multi-generational households and then the concern really is for for older people Um, so, so I think these are some of the concerns that are at play here Mm, interesting. Um, and so, you know, I mean, now that post your um, your research and findings, the the delay now for schools to open, it's now being pushed to 15th of February. Um, you know, what are your thoughts just based on the data that you've surveyed? What do you think um, this is likely to do now to the academic year? Uh, you think the time is sufficient? I mean, I think for me, one of the, the big concerns about um, the changing to the academic year is um, obviously institutions of higher education were able to mobilise last year to ensure um, that students received free data to enable them with their studies. But of course, we haven't seen anything similar being provided for learners in basic education. And I think that's one of the critical issues that I think would be important to focus on for this year, because I, I, you know, it is likely um, that we may have further disruptions to the school year. Um, you know, uh, a third wave may be possible, depending on how quickly we're able to roll out vaccine and how high vaccine take-up is. So I think one of the crucial dimensions here is to invest in ways in which education can continue for all learners in a way that can be supported. And obviously, um Free data would be uh, an important way that could happen. Of course, there are still challenges of devices, network, electricity. So this is not a cure-all for everything, but I think it would be an important part of the picture um, that we have to be prepared for. If there is a stop-start school year, what can we do to mitigate some of the effects of that? Yeah, and I think to take that further, Professor Ansuman, just from your analysis generally of the year that was academically, you know, what are, what are your perceptions on the way it's progressed? Uh, you know, on one hand, a lot of people have been frustrated with um, the stop-start mechanism of schools. Uh, some have been quite happy with it, the um, sort of remote teaching, remote uh, absorption of education, online education. It's worked for some. Um, what has been some of the trends and perceptions that you've gathered in the past 12 months? So from our from our survey findings, what we definitely see is the, the attitudes amongst higher income earners with regards to this particular issue and lower income uh, earners are are polarized because higher income earn, uh, earners have been able to uh, provide data for their children to continue with online learning. They are more likely also to be able to provide their children with devices, which will enable that kind of teaching and learning to continue compared to those on lower incomes and I think that's where we really see the polarisation for people on higher incomes it is more possible for the school year to continue um, but for those on lower incomes it's much much more difficult but also you know, as the survey findings have demonstrated they're also much much more concerned uh, about um, the safety of learners going to school so I think it is a, is a complex picture uh, and um, one that yeah, we will need to see how it unfolds through this year most definitely. I think as you leave us then, Professor Ronsuman, just um, some advice, if you could. I don't know from you know, assessing your uh, data, some recommendations you could leave specifically then to parents. You know, second wave has been quite brutal. Let's just be honest about it. It's been quite uh, intense across South Africa. And now to go back to school with the 
risk and threat of that uh, second, uh, the new variant of COVID-19. Your advice then to parents ahead of 15th of February? Well, I think it is obviously it's very difficult to, to give advice because, you know, each parent and learner's situation is different. Um, and, you know, for some people, it will be very frustrating that their children are not returning to school, whereas others may be very, very happy that their children are not returning to school. But I think the key thing for this is um, we kind of have to get through this together. Social solidarity is incredibly important. Um, and the more that we can protect one another, um, the more likely we are to be able to come through this safely. Um, so although... As I say, the individual impacts of this decision will be very, very different across different households. Um, But I think, um, you know, the government, I think, has taken a consistent decision that is in line with WHO advice on how we can best keep the population safe at this time. Uh, And I think, unfortunately, we just have to to grin and bear the pain and, uh, and hope that the vaccine comes very soon. Mm. Well, definitely, uh, definitely the goal, I think. Professor Karen Ransomon, University of Johannesburg Centre for Social Change. Thanks for your time and hope to pick up these points with you at another point. Thanks. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, to WhatsApp we go before we talk to uh, Pirona Mudli from Naptosa about these developments. Time to to canvas your view on it and uh, some text messages that have come through already. Swami Reddy says there's a lovely day in PMB. Um, keep safe, wear your mask. Best advice you could get. Loshni Naika says teachers going back early would be helpful to the department as it would give an idea on the readiness of the schools and if needed things to do before pupils enter because not all pupils and teachers are in the capacity to make online teaching a reality. Kids are safer to school following protocols and having more space and structure in adjusting with the new normal which seems to be here to stay in 2021. Rambas is very good uh, topic. We need our teachers and children. They are our next generation. Your schools should open next month. Uh, Ronin Ryan Sami of Bayview and Chatsworth, awesome show, very informative. I strongly agree that schools should only reopen when the second wave is under control completely. Fazila Khan in Johannesburg says, My grandson will be in Great R this year and attending a private preschool. The head of the school is adamant that the children must attend school from tomorrow. Is this legal, considering that a call was made that all schools will reopen? Um, I don't think that's legal. I think, uh, I mean, you heard the report that we... Um, that we uh, aired earlier. Um, yeah, um, pretty much con- confirmed by the Department of Basic Education that they've delayed the opening of both private and public schools by two weeks. I think you would, um, yeah, need to raise that. Um, definitely, I don't think that's that's legal. Okay, Mr. Daniel Chellin on a voice note. Hello there, sir. Hi, Newsbreak team. This is Daniel Joshua Children. Just two questions quickly. The first is, uh, why is there a stag- stagnant, uh, staggered movements of the uh, different uh, people coming into the school? The admin staff, the teachers, and the students at different times. What difference does it make when the admin staff and the teachers come in earlier? Aren't they spreading the COVID-19 as well if they are positive and so forth? What are they going to be doing in the meantime? And secondly, private schools. Aren't they the citizens of South Africa and as such? They should all, the opening and the closing of the school should be all according to government regulations. Whatever else they do is according to them. Whether how they run the school privately is up, up to them. But the opening and closing of schools should be all together at the same time. Thank you and God bless you. Bless you as well. Um, what we understand from the department is that uh, the reason why teachers go first is to go through administrative um Checks and balances, I think. I think uh, with regard to COVID-19, it is such a logistic. Let's just be honest for you to just live your life. It's such a logistic, you know, from your masks, hand sanitizer, social distancing. So I think it's to oversee that. But I think most importantly, it is to also look at the amount of and, and this is such a. It's such a chilling point. It is it is grisly, to say the least, to force staff to actually ascertain 
which teachers have survived the second wave. There's been so much of uh, transmission of marking and we are going to be talking a little bit more about, you know, the, those sorts of numbers and statistics with regard to teachers that have not made it um, amid the second wave. So it's those kinds of things that the administrative departments need to go earlier to school to ascertain, um, to, to understand who, which teacher is in isolation, which teacher does have COVID, which teacher has sadly succumbed to the virus. So it's those kinds of logistics that the management teams need to do so that possibly by the 15th, it's just back to books and school when the learners get there. So that's that's my understanding of it. Mr. Ian Governor on a WhatsApp note. Hello. Good afternoon, Taresh. We are in the second wave and there is a rapid infection rate. The decision to reopen school should be postponed until the second wave is over. It is virtually impossible to enforce social distancing in schools. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Governor. Appreciate your message. Let's go to another voice note here. Well, it's a very short one. Hi, Teresh. I would just like to know if the SGB teachers are back, uh, because some of us haven't been back since April last year. SGB teachers. Okay, um, I'll check in with um, Tirona when we talked to her just now to find out her thoughts on that. Um... Most parents don't want to send their children to school until the virus has subsided drastically and are confident that their children are safe and healthy. Just today, a teacher at Greenbury Secondary School has passed away with COVID. Rest in peace, sir. We'll surely miss you. And um, yeah, the person also agrees with Mr. Governor 100%. Roshan Inamzento says, it's COVID reloaded, join the mask movement, be wise and sanitize, stay safe. Yeah, Roshan, I think we just might as well market it, you know, brand it now, get a campaign going because we need to send home that point. Uh, good afternoon. I would say people should understand the consequences of the plight we are facing at the moment. People should adhere to every possible rule set down. Every person um, will obviously have their own opinion, but let us do the right thing for teachers and pupils, most if. Uh, yeah, so those are the messages that we've got today. Here's Michelle and Michaela from Phoenix. Very informative show. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope I'm providing some sort of important information for you. Um, and yeah, those were the messages that have come through. Okay, so keep them coming through. Your thoughts, your opinions. We'll take it further. And when we come back, we do speak to Tirona Mudli. She's from Naptosa and she's going to talk to us about you know, their, their thoughts with regard to the return of school, their engagements with the department and I think some grey areas that need to be considered and looked at holistically. Stay tuned. South Africa has been hit hard by the second wave of the coronavirus. Lately, some 20,000 new cases are reported daily. The country's death toll has risen to more than 33,000. Many hospitals and funeral parlors are struggling to cope. And we visit the set of the Soapy Seven Delan, celebrating 5,000 episodes. That's in this week's Focus, incisive and insightful. Wednesday evening at 7, only on SABC2. Mrs. T. Chetty has been Lotus FM's most ardent listener for many decades. She's been the ama of the station. Puven, it's no exaggeration that mum was absolutely loved. You know, she went from the days of writing messages on a postcard to messages via WhatsApp. Even for us, audio, we got wished on air. There was no phone call to us in the morning. We had to put the radio on and listen to our <laughs> message. Back in 2000, she asked for a diary and then took all the previous messages and captured it to show how much Lotus FM meant. She said she only had one wish. When she is laid to rest, she wants her diary to go with her. This loving message comes with lots of love from Mr. and Mrs. T. Chippy. The Breakfast Express. <sighs> Guys, yeah, Mrs. T. Chetty, hey, what an icon. Definitely somebody we miss so much today. Uh, um, 
Okay, let's let's continue with the conversation then. And uh, I'd like to now invite onto the program Tirona Mudli from NAPTOSA, the National Professional Teachers Organization of South Africa, to find out their thoughts and their uh, concerns about this. Tirona, very good afternoon to you. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Tarish. And um, I think, you know, earlier when we spoke in the week in the build up to this, we had a lot of opinions and a lot of discussion about this. And then, you know, by Friday, it emerges that learners will only go back on the 15th. But, you know, management and teaching staff go back earlier. Your reaction to the news? Teresh, we were taken aback and shocked by this announcement by the Deputy Minister. It was more especially so because it was not part of the consultations with the teacher unions. We welcomed the postponement of opening of schools, and we had taken with it that that would apply to the teachers and the school managers. So when we heard this announcement, we were literally in shock, as that was never consulted with uh, with the unions. Yeah. What was the sort of likes of consultation that was taking place? Because I know you've been particularly concerned about this. So in terms of engagements with department, what did you put on the table? Look, we... As a country, know that we are caught up in the same ways that has arrived much earlier than expected. And of course, it's producing more fatalities than the first wave. And for us, at the very outset of this, um, after the new year, we realized that uh, things are not getting better in terms of the pandemic in the country. And we should actually now start talking about safely opening schools. When will that happen and how that can happen? And that's where our consultation started because it is not um, the most uh, informed decision to make that we stick to the school calendar that was learners returning on the 27th of January and teachers are uh, returning on the 25th of January. It didn't make sense because of the point that we are in with this pandemic. And, of course, none of us have a crystal ball to say, well, in two weeks' time or three weeks' time, things are going to get better. So we started our consultations a week or two ago and proposed, look, uh, the scientists and the experts are saying that as far as possible, stay away from groups and gatherings. And what is school? School is a gathering of learners, no matter how many in the class. It is. Uh, it requires social contact. It requires people to be talking to each other, interacting and engaging. Learners with each other, teachers with learners, teachers with teachers. Is it really necessary now to open when we are seeing death and disease and illness all around us? And, uh, of course, we had Professor Karim also come out and say, you know, it is not in the best interest right now. Um, we heard the pre- president also say that, look, he wa- it wasn't a uh, foregone conclusion for the president that we open on the 21st and the 27th for teachers and learners, respectively. And he had put together uh, a team of people who are experts to actually um, look at um, the dynamics and the logistics that were going to opening of schools and whether it would be feasible to open at this point. And, of course, our proposal was to delay the postponement. And, fortunately, uh, that uh, consultation went in our favour and I think in favour of the department as well. Because yeah. Pirona, you, know, you it's say not it's not the best time to open schools and, and many have said it, you know, wait for the second wave uh, to, 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 to pass. But my, my question is when? You know, how can you calculate that? Well, of course, the stats will show us when we'll be starting to flatten the curve. And as was said by the minister, even the 15th of February is not cast in stone. It will be reviewed. Uh, We're just being optimistic by postponing the opening of school by the two weeks. But there again, we're not saying it's definitely going to happen because this pandemic is outwitting the experts. It's not uh, something that we can actually foresee. So really, it's a... uh, kind of situation where we have we see a shifting goalposts and we have to just conform with whatever the pandemic uh, dictates to us yeah on that note then tirona the i mean okay so the you've got that delay now and, le- and learners will go b- on, on, back to school on the 15th of february but um management staff teachers go back sooner um what are your thoughts with regard to that? Is it suggesting then that, you know, it's, it's, it's okay for them to return to work amid such a, um, such a height of the second wave? Teresh, we are still searching to understand the reasoning behind that. Ordinarily, teachers, together with the school managers, go back just two days before learners do uh, at the beginning of the academic year. And we do know that school planning, timetabling, teacher loads, allocations are all done in the previous year. 
So that has already been done. And for you to expect managers to go for a whole three weeks with no learners there and then teachers to return two weeks before, it's inordinately long. It's not necessary. Teachers are asking us, what are we going to do for three weeks or two weeks? Uh, it's just uh, encouraging teachers to, to interact with each other, which is exactly what we're saying don't do during yeah. this pandemic. Yeah. Know, a very grisly... Um I said it just now, a very grisly reality or, 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 or um, what is the word, a really grisly pronouncement made by the Deputy Basic Education Minister was that part of this reason and role of these managers and teachers is to go back and see, you know, which teacher has COVID-19, who has passed away, you know, teachers that have been, uh, you know, part of marking that possibly contracted virus or succumbed to virus, to do that kind of work, you know, almost an inventory of, uh, of staff left. Explain that to me. Look, it, you don't have to be on the plant to do that. What this pandemic has taught us is that so much can be done remotely. So much can be done from sitting in the safety of your homes. And really, principals already know what's happening with their staff. You cannot think to me that no principal knows if any of his staff member has passed away at this point. Uh, in terms of infections as well, that, can, that must be communicated to the principal, whether they're on the plant or not on the plant, because you need to know the status of your staff in terms of COVID infections. So you don't have to be in the school to get that information, to do an inventory or an audit of your staff. You already know it with technology. So we are so on the minute with news. A WhatsApp would just tell you, you know, a phone call would just tell you. And that information can be fed into the department system at a presently in current present time to get your substitutes to ready the school for timetabling if in the unfortunate uh, situation you have to replace, uh, you know, staff that are passed on. So really it's not necessary for you to be in the school. Tiruna, I think on that point, uh, just uh, that's a valuable point that you've raised there, um, that it can be done um, remotely. I, you know, wow. Um, on an emotional note, almost, what can you tell us about the state of, of, of teachers that have succumbed to the virus? I mean, you know, because you have to wi- worry and wonder how many teachers are left to teach now. Well, Therese, you know, unfortunately, we don't have accurate stats, but the last count of stats from the department was around 1,700. And that stats was in December. So we're now way into January, and we can envisage that there are more teachers that we've lost uh, due to this pandemic. And the reality is that teachers are really afraid because if you have to categorize them as frontline workers, that won't be too far-fetched. They are there uh, with a number of learners at the same time in an enclosed environment. So really they are susceptible to very easily getting infected. And um, the the teachers are afraid, and we understand that, you know what, you have to at times go back to work. And they've accepted that. They know what their uh, responsibilities and their duties are. But teachers are also professionals, and they understand their classroom and the curriculum really well to manage any time lost, to, to finish the curriculum and to meet the learning outcomes that is required. We need to trust that in the teachers. And we also need parents to understand that this is not an extended holiday. There's, there is no way teachers will not catch up with the work. But is it really necessary for them to go to school for two weeks and have no learners to teach? Yeah. When this admin work is done and their core responsibility is teaching and there is nobody there. There's just so much of preparation. And even if there is online preps to do and lesson planning to do, can that not be done at home? Why do they have to be physically present at the school? Yeah. Tirona, I think uh, I want to talk about PPEs and, you know, the sorts of roll, rollouts for um, for this. But before we come to that, some questions are coming through. TVET colleges, what are the indications about TVET colleges? Uh, are they, uh, you know, likely to open? Look, TVET colleges are set to open tomorrow. They did meet with the unions uh, just on Thursday afternoon. 
and they are all set to open tomorrow. Uh, they have uh, given us undertakings with the uh, union representatives setting up task teams and teams oversight, oversight committees to actually ensure safety um, at these TVET colleges. Uh, also, you know, who we should be communicating with if there's any breach in the COVID protocols at these colleges. So we have sent out communication to our members that TVET colleges are scheduled to open tomorrow. Hmm. The other one, and I have a few messages coming through about some people saying they they have learners going to private schools and they want their learners on Monday. And I think that's against the pronouncement, isn't it? Yes, the minister has already said that, you know, private schools need to postpone their opening to after the peak. Uh, those who have opened should actually then reconsider as well. And, you know, it's, it's the parents that we now have to encourage to speak up about their feelings of their, of their children going to private schools. If it's not safe for learners to go to public schools and if we are protecting their category, then all children must be treated the same. And there is no such thing as they could be safer in a private school. We've learned something about this virus is that it doesn't discriminate against where you are, who you are, uh, you know, how old you are or how healthy you are. So really, there shouldn't be any different view from private schools. And we really are lamenting the fact that private schools want to open and continue uh, business as usual. It's not business as usual. It can never be. But are they allowed to then? I mean, they may want to and a lot of people want to do things, but can they legally do this? Well, the minister has said that they will persuade uh, the governing, uh, the, the private schools and their associations to review and revisit this decision. Uh, remember, they have their own calendar and their own uh, boards that direct the calendar. So, uh, you know, they would have to take everything that's happening around them and all factors that's happening around them to make an informed decision and to review their decision if they've opened to actually close or postpone the opening. Well, so that possibly means that those schools who want their learners tomorrow, they may legally have, uh, you know, may, may legally be able to, to, to be operational. Yes, but I, I want to encourage parents to actually communicate with the schools about what their feelings are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's. I uh, hope that answers your question. Uh, I know that you ans- you asked us. Um, I think it was Fazila Khan who says um, about that. So yeah, I think you must just consult there with your with that private school that you're talking about. But the issue of PPE, Tirona, we spent hours talking about it last year. Uh, the the discrepancies there, and I think second wave necessitates uh, a more concerted, solid, um, you know. Uh, solid uh, uh, upholding of, of PPE. Uh, what are your thoughts with regard to this? Has the department given any assurances here? Look, we as Tosa were of the view that that debate should not even come to before this year because it's a box that we took last year and there's lessons that we learned in terms of the distribution of PPE, the logistics that go into, including the expense and cost of PPEs to the schools. And we were hopeful that, look, Today, this year, the debate will move on to other things because we all should have our ducks in a row uh, regarding PPEs, which is so fundamental when it comes to this pandemic. But really, uh, at the moment, we have not had a plan unfold from the department or they have not consulted with the stakeholders in terms of their PPE distribution. And PPE is not just masks. It's also things like in the rural areas and some some of the, uh, the urban township areas as well, uh, where there's no running water to have tankers fit in there and those tanks must be filled as well. It's no point just having a Jojo tank in a school and it's empty. And we've had such a long holiday. These things need to be visited. Infrastructure de- uh, from the department needs to go out to the public works and visit the schools. We've had severe storms as well during the holiday. Has there been an order to see if schools are conducive, if the roofs have flown out, if those Jojo tanks are still there? You know, so there must be an infrastructure audit to see firstly how is the school conducive to receiving um, the learners and the teachers. And uh, with the teachers having to, the uh, school managers having to report now on the 21st, but will the department, the question is, will they be able to do that in the next week? Because surely if the schools are not safe for learners, it's not safe for management to arrive in the, in the next seven days. So yeah. there's a lot of work that has to be done. And, you know, we want to urge the department to stop operating in crisis mode all the time. This postponement is for you as the department to get ready. It's not to sit and wait for the 13th or the 14th of February to say, okay, let's see what has to be done. This is the time where work has to be done. 
to make sure that schools are safe, PPEs are delivered, and also have a plan to replenish the PPEs. It's not an event. You don't just drop off the masks at a school and forget about them. Children have lost the masks. Masks have perished with wash, uh, wear and tear. So what is the sustainable plan that you have? You know, you can't cut grass at the beginning of the end to get about the school. And these are, you know, really old debates and challenges that schools have had. And the pandemic has just chosen to highlight it. They've always been there. But now we're talking more about it because we have certain protocols that the pandemic has imposed on us. But really, these are things that needed to be ready years ago. Yeah. Tirona, as you leave us then, and we then go to WhatsApp, um, what is your advice to parents then? Come 15th, and I know you're, of course, going to continue your engagements and, you know, canvas these views. Union's not overly happy about this excessively early return by teachers, as you, as you said. Um, but on the 15th and the build-up to it, what is your advice then to parents? You know, uh, as we've always said, education starts at home. And if children have to return on the 15th, please, especially the little ones who are not very conscious of sanitizing their hands, not touching their face, keeping their masks on, please use this opportunity to school them into how it is to keep safe while they're at the schools. That's the best that the parents can do. And, of course, when they return home, you know, how to just manage them when they get home so that the families get safe as well. Also, parents need to, uh, you know, really let their children know what, if they are uh, exhibiting any symptoms, to tell their parents uh, ASAP so that their parents can actually follow up and see through a screening and maybe even a testing. Because now we found that little children, teenagers and adolescents are also showing symptoms, finding themselves uh, COVID positive and also getting quite ill with it. So parents, if they are, while they're at home, school them, let them understand the symptoms, let them understand how to be safe. And if comes to 15th and they're not comfortable with keeping sending their children to school, communicate with the school what their concerns are. Because schools will have the opportunity to send work home or to go through online uh, lessons as well. And those learners with comorbidities will have the opportunity to apply for a concession so that they can learn from home. So there are options and parents must just keep in touch with the school and the communication must be open with them and the schools. Wonderful. Well, Tirona Mudli, we will leave it there with you. Thanks so much for your time, Tirona Mudli from Naptosa. And I uh, look forward to keeping tabs on a lot of these issues going forward. Thank you, Teresh. Take care of yourself. Okay, let's go to WhatsApp then to wrap up the program now. Lots coming through. Here's a voice note. Teresh, Namaskaram. Steve Naidu. The second wave is the worst dangerous waves. Not only in schools, it's everywhere. 90% of the people abide by the mass. They're not interested. They can die. We live for once. Rather than realize the causing death to other innocent people. And police is not clamping down. And the people walking around without a mask. We watch from here. Namaskaram. Tanyavaram. Namaskaram. Thanks for listening to us and sending us your thoughts. Um, okay, to the text messages. Chapter 2 says, There's a fine line between positivity and negativity. It's called reality. Well, that's a good thought. Let's face the facts. Nothing's working in our country because of poor leadership, bad ethics, morals and values from those in power. Anonymous says it's a burning topic. Schools should be closed until the second wave is controlled. Lots of municipal staff are getting the virus. Uh, Rihanna Sadr says, I think schools should only open when COVID is over, over completely. I'm sure this isn't a good suggestion, but our children's lives are in danger. Sharon says, we lost a dear loved one over the weekend. He was a frontline worker and committed community stalwart, but also he was a father to two young daughters. So people need to be responsible and realize that our frontline workers have families as well. We have our own mindset to make wise decisions to sanitize and lockdown is essential. Thank you so much for being so honest and so bare with us about the reality of, of COVID and, and, and the repercussions of, of, of you know, um, catching it and why one should 
put in place a lot of protocol to safeguard yourself against it. Mrs. Nirmala Devi Mudli from Amkuma says, with the new variant raging in the second wave, it knows no age, great decision to delay reopening of schools only to protect, save lives, and more so understand the swiftness in which um, this unseen em- enemy is capturing its victims. Charmaine Naidu says, Unit 7 Chatsworth, thank you um, always for addressing important issues. It's just my pleasure. Schools should definitely reopen after the second wave is over. There are so many teachers that have been infected with COVID-19 and passed on. Children are playful and forgetful and are not going to follow protocol. Roshni in Pittsburgh says, I must commend you for... Thanks, Roshni. She's really enjoying the show and always being updated by it. Uh, please take care and have a, stay safe and have a lovely day. Well, you too as well, Roshni. Please stay safe. Rajan Rajkumar in Cape Town says, The President spoke about the three Cs. Opening schools is in direct contradiction of this. Schools should not uh, should only open when the pandemic is completely eradicated. Mrs. Naika says, they say that so much can be done remotely. Highly unlikely. Look at the last year. They waited for the day before to say that the issues were not resolved. Uh, Anonymous says, it sounds like teachers are enjoying staying at home. The UK and other countries are going back to school. Our um, our country already f- has a failing education system before COVID. The trend continues. Private schools are going back because unlike public schools, they won't get paid to stay at home. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh, here's a message from Mike, who sent a voice note. Hello, Mike. We're not playing that. Um, and then more text messages that have come through. Um, yeah, ivermectin. We're not really talking about that because I don't have an expert on the program. I generally talk about ivermectin if I have an, if I have an expert to just allay, uh, because it's such a grey area. You know, it's, it's you've got to be so careful about what you say. So, not really talking about ivermectin today. But thank you for that message. I appreciate it. Uh, Marcy Ben says, um, "Trusted you well. It's a big no. Teachers should stay home, but profitably uh, with schoolwork." And school should be um, indefinitely opened. Okay, thanks so much, Masiban. You take care of yourself. Um, another message is, um, as an educator, I'm saddened by the loss of so many innocent colleagues. We are not medical professionals. We try our best, but it's just it just wasn't enough to keep our teachers safe. It is unfair to place us in such a predicament where we are already compromised emotionally and mentally, and we are under constant stress and in doubt of whether we will infect our families. Thank you. And that's from Lynette. Thanks, Lynette. We commend you and salute you for the work that you're doing. Pran Mahabir from Together Rail enjoying the program. Hope you um, can get a lot of information from here. Um, yeah, so those are our messages um, that have come through today on the program. So, yeah. Um, Hope we've managed to canvas a lot of the views here and a lot of the um, issues going forward. I think it's it's really important then f- to worry about uh, your PPEs to enforce that. As Mr. Raj and Rajkumar said, the three Cs, try your best, even though it could be futile at points, but definitely uh, something to, to factor in. We are going to be keeping you updated as this information does become available to us. We are looking forward to, um, you know, finding out more about private schools and even, um, like Thirona mentioned, while you while on the table, it's the fifteenth of February that schools will reopen. But, you know, should anything drastic happen with regard to COVID nineteen infections, that could even be reviewed. Another message here says, "I trust that you are well. I feel teachers should go to school, but children should be at home. But teachers should set up work and send the stu- send it to the students, so everyone is safe. It's a win win situation." both sides. Interesting point. Teachers stationed at schools but learners stationed at home and they have, you know, sort of digital digital centers at school that they could um, use to disseminate um, the syllabus. So interesting point. I think one has to be creative as you go about mitigating the impact of COVID-19 even in 2021. Okay, we're going to leave the program there. We thank you so much for all your contribution. Really appreciate it today. Um, this broadcast came away courtesy of the team, executive producer Selma Patel and Chanel Daniel. Tomorrow we'll bring you another edition of Newsbreak between 6 and 7 o'clock from Itaresh. Hey, have an awesome day. Newsbreak, Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.